and I've titled this message, if you take notes, Walk in Love. That's what we're going to be talking about. Walk in love. All right, Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, and I'm going to read uh, through verse 7. He writes this, Therefore, everyone say, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. And ready for it? And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for. So, so Paul makes a statement. He says, walk in love. And then he gives us sort of the, the motivation or the behind the scenes of like, how, what does that even look like? He says, this is, this is what it is. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and he's given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. Then he says, but fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, let it not even be named among you as it is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Let's pray one more time, and then we're going to look at these verses. Father, we thank you again for this night. We thank you that you love us, and God, your word tells us that we love you because you first love us. Your word also says that you are love. God is love. And so we pray that you would reveal that to us in this place tonight, and we ask that you would just help us to, to navigate this idea of love and relationships and all of these things. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm not going to lie. Um, I think I was a pretty cute kid, um, <laughs> in case you were wondering. Um, I had like a classic bowl cut. You know what I mean? Amazing. Like literally looked like mom and dad put a bowl on the head and then just right around Took it off, clean as a whistle. It's funny, growing up, though, the, the bowl cut, they called it, maybe some of you guys know what I'm talking about, they called it the surfer cut. At least that's what my parents told me it was called. They're like, it's a surfer cut. You look really cool, like a surfer. Like a surfer. And then it was just a bowl cut. Anyways, that's besides the point. Um, <clears throat> Shane probably could tell us if it's officially called the surfer cut or not. Bowl cut is the official name. <laughs> Whatever the case, I'm going to keep calling it the surfer cut. Anyways... So uh, I was a pretty cute kid. It was, the, it was the second day of first grade. Second day of first grade. Recess, right, of course. What else happens on the second day of first grade but recess? And uh, because probably primarily because of the bowl cut, there was a couple girls in the class that were crushing on me. No big deal. And, uh, and uh, so, you know doing my thing, you know, probably swinging on the swing set, climbing the monkey bars, maybe, maybe doing pull-ups on the monkey bars. I don't remember. That's besides the point. And uh, I remember that uh, a couple of girls, I could tell you their names, uh, Vivian and Haley. Uh, <laughs> second day, first grade, they decided, again because of the bowl cut, that they wanted me uh, to experience my first kiss <laughs> from them. And uh, so they proceeded to, you know, they wanted to plant one on me. And I just wasn't ready yet. You know, I didn't like them like that. I was like, I was like, it's too soon. Like, so it's only the second day of first grade. Like, I need to weigh out my options first before I settle on Vivian and Haley. You know what I mean? 
And uh, so, so I, I proceeded to run as fast as I possibly could um, from these girls that wanted to kiss me. So climb up the, the jungle gym thing. And then they're, they're gaining on me. I'm at the top. It was pretty tall, especially when you're in first grade. I was up there, and they were gaining on me, and I could see them climbing up, and I had a decision to make. Um, I either stay there, and they kiss me, and I lose, <laughs> or I can leap from the top of the gymnasium, or whatever it was called, and hopefully be able to get away in safety. Well, I decided to leap, and on the second day of first grade, I broke my arm. <laughs> Only time I've ever broken a major bone in my body was because Vivian and Haley insisted on giving me a kiss on the second day of first grade. Why do I bring that up? Well, I was running from love, at least our understanding of love. I was not ready yet. It was, it was too soon running, and it ended terribly. Paul, in our text, watch this awesome transition. Um, Paul, in our text, tells us to walk in love, not run from love. Not, not avoid at all costs, but, but walk in love. And then Paul in this text, he's showing us, when he tells us, he makes a statement, walk in love. And then he's showing us that relationship with God changes how we do relationship. And no longer are we getting our gu- guidelines from the world or culture, but, but from God. Now, Paul's writing uh, uh, to the church there in Ephesus. Ephesus was a pagan or a secular or a non-Christian, very worldly culture that they were in. They had all sorts of temples set up to false gods that they would practice crazy weird love relationships in the name of their false god that would happen that were that was running rampant in this city of Ephesus and so the Ephesians very easily and very quickly could get caught up in what culture was saying what love was and how you express it and how you partake in it and so Paul really wants them to know he sort of calls a time out and he says listen this is love and he tells us to walk in this real love and he tells us that what they say or what the culture says love is is not the standard and he tells us specifically to imitate Christ as we attempt to walk in love in other words allow God to be your standard for love and then we see in this text, really, he, he gives us a contrast in this text between what God says love is and then what culture or the world or, or the people around us that aren't following Jesus say that love is. And I kind of noticed on Valentine's Day, there's always like love quizzes that you can take. You know what I mean? There's like little, little love quizzes like, are you in love or whatever it might be? Or the, will you be my Valentine quiz? So this is going to be kind of our, our love like God loves type of quiz. The first thing that he tells us that we need to understand in contrast between God's way and the world is that we're called to love, not lust. Love, not lust. One of the things Paul does for us is show us the difference between love and lust, which is something in our culture and in our world we confuse all the time. We can 
confuse them all the time because I think the symptoms, for lack of a better word, of love and the symptoms, for lack of a better word, for lust can kind of like the signals can get crossed a little bit. And what, what culture and, and the media and maybe even the celebrities we follow on Instagram or the movies or whatever it is says like this is how you behave when you're in love. But in reality, how they're behaving looks a lot more like lust than it does love. And so Paul wants us to understand, hey, walk in love. And then he explains to us, this is what love looks like, and this is not love. And the first thing I think that we need to understand between the two is that love gives and lust takes. Love gives and lust, or, or another, I, I, the idea of lust is not an actual action, but more of an emotion. It's a desire. The word lust as it's used in the Bible, sometimes it's not even used in a bad way, but it can be a bad way. But it's just this deep desire towards something. And love gives, but lust takes. Paul's example and aim for us when it comes to love is the example Jesus set. He says, Walk in love, and then he defines it. He says, as Christ also has loved us, and then here's the key, given himself for us. That's his idea of love. That Christ, he loved us so much that he gave. We know the most famous verse in all the Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only son. Because real love, actual love, gives way more than it takes. I think a lot of times if we're gauging, like, are we in love? Do we like somebody? What, what is this? But we often think, well, what do I get from them? Well, they make me feel good, and I feel special when I'm around them, and I don't care about anybody else in the world when I'm around them, and, and all of these things. And it's just about, it's about me. It's about what am I getting from this? Are they always buy me the best Valentine's Day card? And they're just, it's always about me. Or maybe in, in the other sense, it's if you're in a relationship with somebody that it's all about them, you'll find that real love is willing to give, but lust just looks to take. It's just about me. It's about what can I receive? What can I? And oftentimes, you'll find that people will do things that are against you, that are not for your best interest, because they say it's love, but in reality it's lust, and they're taking from you. That They're just trying to get what they think they need or that what they think feels right, and they're putting you down. They're not concerned with your feelings because it's not love, it's lust, because love gives, lust takes. Second thing is that, that I think is a good comparison or contrast is that love doesn't need a reason, but lust does. Love doesn't need a reason. Lust sort of keeps score and gets even. Like you do something nice, so like, okay, I got to return the favor. Like you got me this card, so all right, I got to get you this card. Like uh, Hannah texted me yesterday, and she said, we're going away this or on Sunday um, for like our anniversary trip. And she texted me yesterday and said, don't you get me anything tomorrow. And she said, if you do, I will return it. Make me a coffee in the morning and nothing else or I'll return it. And then I woke up this morning, and she had got me a card. And I was like, what? that's not fair. You told me very specifically, like, do not get me anything. And so I obeyed. I made her coffee, and that was it. So then I felt like, not really, this is because I love her, but I felt like, I, I got to do something. So I had to go get her flowers. You know what I mean? Like, 
<laughs> we said we weren't going to do anything. And then you did something. Like this idea of like, like check. I'm just kidding. I got her flowers because I love her. I love you. That's why I got you those flowers. Yeah. So just so you all know, so that when we're driving home tonight, I got you flowers because I love you. But the idea is, is, is lust keeps score. It, it ta- so you did something bad to me, so now I get to be a jerk to you. And, and you'll watch people in relationships, especially if you're in high school, and you'll watch people like just play that game. Like they, well, you didn't text me first, so I'm not going to text you first. And then it's this game where it's like, you were mean to me, so I'm going to be mean back to you. And But then today you were nice to me, so now I'm going to be nice to you. And it's this whole game. And listen, love doesn't need a reason. Love is always willing to give, is always willing to be humble, is always willing to take the back seat, is always willing to give even if it doesn't see, hey, listen, if we've been off today, like it was a weird day, everybody's out of sync, it, things just aren't going the way we had hoped it to go, but still at the end of the day, love doesn't need a reason, and so I'm going to behave the right way, even if it doesn't seem like it's going to be reciprocated or whatever it looks like. Love, it doesn't need a reason. Jesus is, again, the example for us, and he didn't need a reason to come here and be our uh, atoning sacrifice, the way that we could know God. It wasn't like Jesus sat around and waited for us to be good enough, and then it's like, okay, now there's our reason. That's why we'll do it now, because so-and-so finally was good enough. No, God didn't need a reason. He loved you so much, so he gave. Love doesn't need a reason. And then the third thing is love is consistent. Lust is emotional. Love is consistent, lust is emotional. Again, the phrasing, walk in love. I love that because a walk speaks of consistency, right? For the most part, when you go for a walk, your speed stays the same. At least for the most part, you don't get that out of breath. It's like pretty simple. You go at a nice pace. It's easy. You're able to talk, chew bubble gum. Like it's not that difficult. Walking is consistent. And the idea of walking in love is that it's, we're just consistent with it. We're not all over the place. We're not, we're not following our feelings. Where lust is all about feelings. I feel good today or I feel love today or, or I feel however I want to feel today. And so because of that, I'm going to act this way. And it's all based upon my feelings where love is consistent. And we're saying I am choosing to act loving and I'm choosing to be loving and I'm choosing to do the right thing even though I don't feel it or even though you don't deserve it or even though all you do is take at the end of the day. I don't need a reason because it's not based upon my feelings. It's an action. It's a decision. It's, a, it's an outlook and an attitude and something that we, we choose even when we don't feel. You follow me? It's not something that has to be dependent upon how we feel or whether or not someone deserves it. So the first thing we need to understand is that about love, not lust. The second point tonight is that our love life affects all of our life. Notice in verse 3 and 4, 
First, he tells us to walk in love, and then he, ex- he explains it, that Jesus was an offering for us. And then he says, but, and this is where he brings up the idea of lust primarily. He uses all these words, fornication, uncleanness, covetousness. He says, let it not even be named among you. He says, neither filthiness or foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. So he brings up these ideas. He says, this is not love. Okay, these things are not love. These things are really, weak, as we've been saying, categorized as lust. It's, it's emotional. It's feeling. It's all about me. It's all about I. It's all about what I want. But then notice that at first he's describing these things as actions. He says, he, he says uh, fornication and uncleanness and covetousness. But then in verse 5 he transitions again, and he says, For this you know that no fornicator or unclean person, nor covetous man, no, or, or an idolater. No longer is it just a behavior or an action. By verse 5, it is a characteristic of a person. So no longer is it somebody just behaving in an unclean way. Now he's saying they are an unclean person. No longer is it just somebody committing fornication. Now they are a fornicator. You see what I'm saying? It, all of a sudden, it goes from just something that you do and that transitions into something that you are. All of that to say is that it is possible and it happens that sometimes we think that an area of our life is just that, an area of our life. And it's, it's different and it's hidden and it's just this one small part. But then over time, an area of your life becomes all of your life. And so at one point, oh, it was just this one thing. I was just acting this way, or we were just doing this sometimes, or it wasn't that big of a deal, or whatever it is. And then it goes from an area of your life to being a characteristic of your life. Because especially when it comes to love and relationships and romance and this this crazy concept called love, it's very easy for it to go from, oh, it's just this little thing. We're sending cute texts back and forth or whatever it looks like. And it becomes something that is devastating and detrimental to what God has for you because it's gone from something that was just small and private in this little thing. And it's consumed your life and it's become all of your life. And it's, it's almost impossible to keep those things separate. And so what we have to do is choose from the very beginning, choose from the outset that we're going to do things God's way and recognize that God does have a plan and God does have a way and God does have a design for the best and healthiest and the perfect relationship for us. But if we, if we don't allow God to be at the center of it and we're just like, well, here's my God life and here's my Christian life, but then here's my love life and here's my romantic life. And if we don't let those things mix, then pretty soon this part of our life becomes all of our life, and it's negative. And so we have to understand that it can't just be some side thing or some, some whatever. And I think we do that all the time. We have, like, our church friends, and then we have, like, our outside of church friends. You know, we have, like, the music we listen to around our parents, and then we've got the music we listen to when our parents are not in the room. <laughs> and it's like we have these little like sections of our life, but pretty soon when we allow those things to, to take hold of our life, it goes from, oh, this is just a section of my life, and it becomes all of our life. So your love life affects all of your life. It's impossible to keep those things separate. And if, if we're acting inappropriately or with uncleanness, like Paul says, pretty soon we become unclean. 
All right, the third point is that our love life can be an example for others' lives. Our love life can be an example for others' lives. Now, let me just pause for a moment, and some of you are like, I don't have a love life. Um, that's great. <laughs> that's awesome. Keep Jesus first, because I'm sure a day is going to come where that will change. You know, right now you're like, I really, I don't have time, or I don't care, or I'm not interested, or nobody else is, like, I'm super interested, they're just not interested. Um, whatever the case, these principles and this reality is true for most of us. Most of us, probably 98% of us, if not all of us, will probably grow up, have that one person, fall in love, get married, you know, have a valentine forever, and that'll be our life. I mean, for most of us, that, that will be true. And so wherever we're at in this love life conversation, we want to make sure that we're keeping Jesus first and doing it his way so that we set ourselves up for success. You don't want to go into relationships with tons of baggage and a bunch of failure and a bunch of failed relationships prior to the one that God ultimately had for you. And so when we do things God's way, we're able to be the people and be the example that God wants us to be. So love life can be an example for others' lives. This whole text stems from this idea of, of being imitators of God as dear children. He says, be imitators of God as dear children. We all know kids like to copy the people they look up to, right? I'm sure you've had that little sibling that's done that thing. You're like, why are you dressed exactly like me? Or like, since when did you start using that word? Or, or, or like, you know what I mean? Like all of a sudden, it's like, how did you, why are you, like what's going on? And children, they, they like to imitate. They, like, they, they, like to, they look up to people and then they want to behave that way. And so Paul tells us, he says, that picture that child imitating their big sibling or their parent or whatever. And he says, that now is how you are to imitate God. That you are to look at God and do what he's doing. Behave like him, act like him, look up to him. And Paul tells us to walk with God like that. Closely walking and watching what he does. In order to imitate God, we need to know God, right? You can't imitate him if you don't know what he's like. Because you could behaving, be behaving some way and somebody's like, what are you doing? And you're like, I'm imitating God. And you're like, how are you imitating God? Well, this is my idea of God. This is, might be how he behaves. And so this is how I'm behaving. It doesn't work like that. You're, you're, it's a figment of your imagination. The only way to imitate God is to know God and to know what he's like and then do what he's doing, right? <laughs> if you decide this is how God behaves, you're like, oh, that's a really poor representation of God. And so we imitate God by first knowing God. And, and primarily we know God through his word, through being in fellowship with other believers, through worship, through prayer. We can know God. And you can't imitate what you don't know. But as you imitate Christ, and it isn't a fake imitation. It's not being an, an imposter or, 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 or an impersonator. That's not the word he uses. It doesn't say impersonate Christ, because at least when I hear the word impersonation, it's like an imposter. You know what I mean? It's like that person's not really like that, but they're impersonating. So it's like they're around this person, and they're impersonating this, and then they go home, and they take the mask off, and they're somebody else. It's not like we just put on a mask, and we impersonate Christ. Like, Look at me. I'm a good Christian person. And then we go home, and we're like, that's not actually me at all. The idea of imitation, it's, it's 
bigger than that. It's deeper than that. It's something that affects us on the inside. And, and we're becoming like Christ. And listen, when you imitate God, when you, when you walk in love as, as, as he calls us to, people see Jesus in your life. Paul would tell us in another text, the same writer here, he would write us uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. He says this, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ, which is such a heavy claim. Like here Paul is, and he is saying that if you decide to do what I'm doing, you're going to be doing what Christ is doing. Why? Because I'm imitating Christ. So imitate me as I imitate Christ. Now, we got to ask ourselves, could we make that statement? Could we say, to, you know, maybe when we break up into groups, you, you say to somebody in your group, hey, listen, this week, imitate me, and you'll be imitating Christ. Everything I do, everything I say, everything I listen to, everything I watch, how I interact with friends, how I listen to my parents, how do I interact with my boss, whatever it is, you imitate me, and you'll be imitating Christ. That's a pretty heavy statement. And Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And then the challenge for us is to say, first, am I imitating Christ? And then secondly, if I'm imitating Christ, am I allowing people to see that so that people can see Jesus through my life? It's, Paul would write in another text that your life is a living epistle. The word epistle is, is the letters. The book of Ephesians is an epistle. It's a letter written to the church, that your life is a living epistle, that people can look at your life, they can read your life, and they can see Jesus. And the way you do romance and the way you do relationships and the way you do life allows people to see Jesus in your life. And when you love as God loves, not like the world or culture loves, it actually makes people see Jesus. Worship team, you guys can come up here. I am finished, almost. <laughs> when, when people look at your relationships, romantic or regular, <laughs> regular relationships, do they see Jesus? That's the, that's the question I think we want to consider as we conclude our Valentines together. And, and just this reality where, because it, it's not just about today, and it's not just about what today means, it's about how can, when, when I live my life, do people actually see something different or significant or special about it? Imitate me, Paul says, as I imitate Christ. And we want to we live in such a way that people can look at our lives and they see something different or, or, or special or even strange at times through our life. I remember uh, a few years back, my friend was getting married and he was getting married at 19. And uh, I was the best man in his wedding. We were friends growing up. And, uh, and I remember that the day of his wedding, we like, were all in our suits. And we were hungry. And we went to a subway nearby where the, the wedding venue was. And we're in line in subway. And the person there was like, oh, what's going on? And we're like, they're like, is it prom? <laughs> and we're like, no, uh, he's getting married. And she's like, oh, which one? And is my buddy, and uh, he's getting married. And she's like, what? How old is he? And, like, he was kind of, like, baby-faced at the time, too. And um, she's like, how old is he? And we're like, oh, he's 19. She's like, that's too young to get married. She's like, that's ridiculous. And she was like, 
almost offended, like she's making our, our foot long, and she was like almost offended that, that he was getting married so young. And, you know, we're like, oh, no, it, like they're in love. And because she, even, I remember, this is the funny part. She's like, she's like, you're getting married? And we're like, yeah. She's like, is she pregnant? And we're like, no. They're like, are you like terminally ill? Like, what's going on? And we're like, oh, no, they're, they're just in love. They, they, they don't want to wait. You know, they're excited. They love each other. There's no reason for them to, to wait any longer. And the lady just was like, couldn't wrap her head around it. You know what I mean? Like, why would you do that? And there's something about when you commit yourself to Jesus and when you're saying, I'm going to do things God's way, that causes people to scratch their heads a little bit. Where it's like, huh? You're doing what? Like, why are you... Like, why are you doing this with your life? Why, why are you living this way? Why aren't you going to this party? Or why aren't you behaving like this with that girl? Or, or whatever it is. And people are going to be like, what's going on? But then what happens is I believe that those strange encounters that happen with Christians, you know what I'm talking about? Where, like, people are like, why? I think it sticks with people. I think, I mean, I don't know. I never went back to that subway, so I couldn't ask her. But I've got to imagine that the people that, because Shane, he dealt with the same thing. Shane and Juliana got married at whole 19, 20. And they've dealt with the same thing. Shane at his work at the barbershop all the time. People are like, you did what? <laughs> like, you're crazy. But I got to imagine that it sticks with people because it's different. It's, it's breaking a, a cycle that, that is broken already. The, the, the culture and what culture says is love and how they behave and the cycle that they're in, it is a broken cycle. It do, it's not satisfying. It isn't working. People aren't happy. Divorce rates are at an all-time high. People are miserable. Like, that's a reality. And they're doing it the way that they think they should do it. And then you've got people like Shane or my friend that are saying, no, we're, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to do things God's way, and it sticks with people. People see something different. So listen, all that to say, your life and the way you love people can be an example for other people's lives. Even if you're never able to share why you do it, just the fact that you live different than the rest of the world will point people to something is different about this person. I don't know what it is. Maybe they're just weird. Maybe they're crazy. I don't know. But something is different about them. And that's what our world is looking for. The reason our culture is so obsessed with love is because we're trying to figure it out. Like, I w we're obsessed with it. So it's like, maybe, it's, maybe the answer is roses. <laughs> and maybe the answer is heart-shaped heart chocolate candy. Maybe that's it. Or maybe it's more love songs. Or maybe it's more poetry. Or maybe it's more movies. Or whatever it is. Listen, it's none of those things. Those things are great, but it's none of those things. The answer is Jesus. People are desperately looking for him, and they're going to fill their lives with all of these other things, looking to just get a glimpse of what real love is, and you have it, and you can live it out, and you can display it, and people can see his love in your life. And that's the goal for us.